This is the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Franz. If you would like to support and be part of our community, you can start by visiting zennovascotia.com. I mentioned to someone today that I was going to be talking about the sixth precept, the precept of not speaking of the faults of others. And she immediately said, Oh, but that's the one that's the most fun to break. (laughs) Maybe everyone has a favorite, but I think she was pointing to something true. There's something communal about complaining about other people. It's one of the ways we bond. It's one of the ways we connect. And we're invited to do it all the time. I read an article once by someone who had, I, I don't remember anymore, maybe, she, maybe it was a month or maybe it was six months or maybe it was a year, but she determined that she would not complain. And like anyone who gives something up, you know, the first thing she noticed was how often she does it, right? How much energy it took to hold back from complaining. And then you start to see the social aspect of it and find that it's not just simply a choice not to say certain things. It's a kind of rejection because people are, are inviting you all the time to join into a particular kind of conversation. Right. And we make jokes, or, or we get upset, and we say, right? Don't you think so? And we're inviting the next line. Right. And so if you give that up, if you decide to step away from that, it's not as simple as being silent. It, it puts up a kind of wall It's hard. But I think there's a way to approach this. And part of that is in seeing that it isn't the precept against complaining. It's the precept against speaking of the faults of others. It's good for us to remind ourselves from time to time, and this comes up from time to time, that we don't live in the same time or place as the one where these precepts evolved. That doesn't make them irrelevant, but it changes their character. And specifically, what I keep coming back to not just with the precepts, but with a lot, of, a lot of things in this tradition, is that 2,500 years ago, or 2,000 years ago, or 1,500 years ago, or 1,000 years ago, people in most places didn't have any real opportunity to effect change on any real scale. Which is to say, 
whether or not you liked, for example, your political leaders, was irrelevant. It didn't matter. <laughs> Most of them were probably awful. And maybe the average person harbored some opinion about it. But complaining about it wasn't going to get you anywhere. It's a very recent idea in human history that your lot in life when you're born might not determine your lot in life when you die. We're still really just discovering this idea in the great scheme of things. And so people didn't put their energy into changing the government. They didn't put their energy into changing attitudes within the culture. There would have been no point. And so complaining in this uh, context often referred to gossip. And often this, I have seen this precept translated as not gossiping, which has a very different feeling. It feels very local. It feels like you're talking about the guy down the street. You know, there's some guy with a kind of Boo Radley vibe. And, you know, everybody wonders about him and everybody speculates about what he does when he's alone, you know. And that can be a kind of trap, right? That's a, it's a way for people to get stuck. But these days we complain about the faults of others all the time. And sometimes we do it in a context that feels like it matters. Right? There are people out there who, and, and I'm, I'm going to stick with this example for most of the time, who hold a certain amount of power. And maybe we feel that that's not justified. Maybe we feel that they shouldn't be in that position. And so the conversation around the water cooler and the conversation at the dinner table and the conversation in the car on the way to work turns to that person's fault or those people's faults. Right? And there's a kind of hopefulness behind that, that something might change. That's natural. I think we have to allow for some version of this but then we have to get a little bit sophisticated and ask ourselves, what is skillful and what is not? And when I think about that, what I find is that, that this precept holds up very, very well. That when I complain about the faults of a person, person that that's different from complaining about the activities of a person. In the same way that I, I grew up hearing this axiom about uh, hating the sin but not the sinner. When we see someone who we think is causing harm and we say, well, he's an idiot, mm-hmm. right? Or he's a jerk, mm-hmm. or he's just evil. That may feel cathartic, and it may uh, feed that social thing, right? Because everybody wants to say it. Everybody wants to hear it, 
right? Everybody wants to say, yeah. But we can ask ourselves if there's any benefit in it. Does he's an idiot point to something that matters? This tradition rests in large part on a concept that we sometimes translate as identity action, which, if we explain it in the very simplest terms, is you are what you're doing. When you clean the floor, you're a floor cleaner. When you speak, you're a speaker. Right? The rest is a story. But there's something real in action. There's something real in activity. And so if you want to complain, if you want to speak of someone's faults, if you have that impulse, you can pause and you can ask yourself, what is it I'm complaining about? If I'm just simply going to complain about a quality that another person possesses, what does that, what does that mean? Right? I'm kind of a jerk. If I want to get to the heart of it, I have to understand who that person is. And who that person is, again, within the confines of this practice at least, is best understood through what that person does and what that person says. So the complaint is not, he's an idiot. The complaint is, he did this. And that caused harm. He said this, and that misled people. And you can hear when you read, you know, analysts, people who talk about politics, there are those two tracks. Right. One, in many ways, exists for the purpose of catharsis and often for the purpose of humor. And the other one is trying to say, let's understand what's happening and address it. This isn't restricted to politics. Right. If your best friend is driving you crazy. It's not skillful to decide something about your best friend that then is unchangeable. Stick with what's happening. Because in that moment, in in that decision moment, where you decide to pursue one and not the other, you either open or close your own potential to realize some kind of freedom. If I decide something about you, if I decide that something about you is fixed, that it's static, and that it can't be changed, I am unconsciously reinforcing the belief that I also cannot be changed. 
because that's what human beings are. I'm reinforcing the belief that I am who I am. Like Popeye. I'm stuck. The more I make someone else solid, the more solid I become in relationship to that person and in relationship to everyone. You can't have it both ways. And this is where it's really useful to think about the people who drive you the most crazy or the people who have driven you crazy the longest. Or maybe there's someone you just detest. And spend some real actual time wrapping your head around the idea that that person is not fixed any more than you are. Not in the largest sense, anyway. There's a relaxing that happens in that. So that the converse is also true. That when you see someone and you remind yourself of that person's capacity for change, when you remind yourself that that person is not a fixed, concrete entity. Then you reinforce the open view of yourself. It becomes a reminder that if you have hope that this other person might make a shift, you can likewise have a hope that you might make a shift. This precept speaks to that fundamental question of who we think we are. It speaks to that fundamental question of I and the reality of I and the non-reality of I. Speaking of I and speaking of you, it's the same conversation. I fail at this one a lot. But I catch myself sometimes. And and the way that I do it is that I I see sometimes that what I'm about to say or unfortunately sometimes what I just said made no contribution. It was like a belch. <laughs> I just got something out that felt uncomfortable to have inside. In that moment, if I can catch myself, I can see that I have the option to say nothing, which may be better. Or that I have the option to 
craft something that I think might actually be of benefit. It's not that I always know what option B looks like. And so on a good day, I'll go with option A. But in either case, hopefully I'm not I'm not making that choice to get stuck. And that's where I'll stop. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.